This is an Eye on Annapolis special update. Today we are joined by Eileen Fogarty and Bill Kardash, who are the co-chairs of the City Dock Action Committee in Annapolis, which is the, uh, as I like to say, the Committee of 100 that's charged with figuring out what the heck we're going to do with uh, City Dock. I've been a little bit critical on the, the size of the committee. And you guys are getting ready to wrap up your work to a point. And um, we just wanted to sit down and see where we stand and sort of pretty much explain the whole situation to people that are listening to us. So welcome and thank you guys for making the time to come out this rainy afternoon. You're welcome. Thank you. So, you know, you and I were talking a little bit about how this whole thing start. And maybe I can just give you a couple of words about the origin of the City Dock Action Committee. You may recall about a year and a half ago, I guess it was probably the spring of 2018, where the, the city council, actually the mayor, had introduced legislation for MX zoning on City Dock to allow um, or to encourage a hotel development there. Right, and that, that raised the roof lines and the... It would have gone to 65 or 75 feet. Okay. Um, the current limit in the historic district is, Eileen can correct me, but I believe it's, it's 38 th- feet. Yeah, mid-30s. Um, and so that MX zoning was to be introduced, I, th- I want to say it was March of last year. A group of us uh, got word that it, it, that the legislation would be introduced on the forthcoming Monday night. And we got, in, we, we got the word on a Friday, as I recall. And it had just hit the agenda. And so uh, in a flurry of phone calls, um, we were able to get probably about a dozen people to... Uh, actually, we, we had a pre-meeting on a Saturday morning to, for us to basically get our ducks in a row as to how what our testimony would be. But long story short, about a dozen people showed up at city council meeting and in rapid-fire succession testified that uh, changing the zoning to MX zoning was a bad idea and uh, everybody you know, had a different piece of it as to why we thought it was a bad idea uh, so once the testimony was over the legislation was introduced and there was call for a second second motion and no one on the council would second it so it basically iced that legislation right. moving forward um, and that kind of kicked off the whole episode of what's going to happen to City Dock, what's going to happen to zoning, and what potentially could happen there. It was during that period of time, March, April, that the National Trust for Historic Preservation got wind of this potential change. And there are a couple of people who are involved with, uh, I want to call them uh, kind of field representatives for National Trust who live in Anne Arundel County and were following this thing and tracking it. Every year, the National Trust has a thing called uh, 11 Most Endangered uh, Cities. And so they put Annapolis, a city dock, Annapolis in the in the mix for that. Sort of a funny story on that. My uh, daughter went to American University, and she was um, interning with Historic Annapolis during that whole fiasco. And another one of her friends at school happened to be interning with the National Historic Trust. She was working on this. 11 sites that are endangered and she ended up calling elizabeth my daughter saying hey okay i need to know this 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 about annapolis because you live there and you know and right. whatnot and elizabeth says oh so they're and i'm like oh they're putting <laughs> <laughs> so 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 it was a couple of interns that sort of blew the lid but it was kind of i do recall that you scooped the story as i recall it was kind of funny it was like, oh, okay so this is uh going on and then i know that there was a uh, a meeting right down there at city dock announcing that yeah so the so this uh so by the time um so about june rolled around june of 2018 and uh, lo and behold out of a hundred i think there were roughly a hundred cities that were in the mix to be considered annapolis was selected as one of the 11 and the announcement was i want to say june 20th or something like that of 2018 and there was a press conference held literally on city dock um, under the infamous billboard <laughs> And uh, the mayor was not invited to it. This was basically the National Trust and HA having this press conference, and uh, uh, the mayor showed up and was not too happy about the whole thing. But since he showed up, we decided that we would let him say something, and so um, he did. And he, and and he was um, he was not particularly pleased that this whole um, announcement had been made. It was relatively an embarrassment for the city. And that kind of kicked off this whole what's going to happen to City Dock. So after the meeting, there was a there was tension between the mayor's office and HA in particular about this sure. whole thing. I think he felt that he was uh, that he was blindsided. We didn't we, we we neither sought the attention and basically the 
the the, the intention to change the the zoning was the was the was kind of the thing that broke the camel's back. And so that during that summer of eighteen, we then started to figure out how do we how do we fix some of the problems. And so the idea was there was a discussion about ULI, um, the Urban Land Institute. And getting them involved, we at first we're going to have the uh, meeting, I think, in August, and then it slipped to September. And by the time we ended up having it, was the middle of October of 2018. Urban Land Institute then uh, puts together what they call a technical assistance panel, and uh, they handle the whole thing. We came out of the there's a there's a DC segment of the Urban Land Institute. There's also a Baltimore chapter, and so we came under for, because of our proximity. Came under the Baltimore chapter. Bryce Turner from BCT Architects was selected as the chair, and they they and actually the the chair. And uh, his immediate team pick who the experts are, and as I recall, it was a dozen or so experts in various um, disciplines. In various you got, disciplines, you got traffic and yeah, the traffic and, and resiliency and, and parking and uh, architects and right. a whole a whole uh, gaggle of people. And they come in for uh, they basically parachute in for a two day for a two day session where they kind of a crash course. They there was a little bit of prep before that, but they come in for a crash course take a look at the city, analyze the problems. And over the course of two days, they come out with some recommendations based on kind of, I don't want to say shoot from the hip, but they're basically um, broad brush questions and broad brush comments. And so we had two sessions at in city council chambers. Both were standing room only, 150, 160 people who showed up to hear what they had to say. And for the most part, I would say that the questions that came from the audience were both respectful and um, deeply curious about what, what was really happening. After all was said and done, they come out with these recommendations. And then uh, late October, early November, we started saying, and by that time we had the city and Historic Annapolis started closing ranks a little bit and getting closer as to, okay, we had this confrontation. We've come in with the ULI, the mayor. I literally uh, recall walking into City Hall as the mayor was walking out. And I made the comment to him. I said, uh, "I said we really have to see if we could work together." And he said, "Oh, he said I love what's going on. I, I, I just think it's great. I love, I love, I love hearing their ideas. Great. I love to hear that." And that kind of kicked off this whole thing. So come November, we then uh, HA then sat down and said, "Look, we need to move the ball forward." Quite honestly, we initially were going to do it internally within Historic Annapolis, but we decided that if this thing was going to get any legs, we really had to have the city involved because the city was too big a stakeholder for us to go. We didn't want to have all these come out with all these recommendations, long term recommendations to have the city say yeah but you never talked to us so we approached the city got them together and we began to put together the city doc action committee which at that point didn't have a name as we were looking for members of the city doc action committee the first thing was we needed a, we needed somebody to lead it and um, the rest uh, of the crowd stepped back and there you two were there, well <laughs> actually no we, we, that came after the fact I I had known uh, I, I had no I, I had no Eileen for a number of years I knew her her reputation as the former planning director for the city and you know then moving on to Santa Monica and Santa Cruz and Alexandria all places that have uh, big problems that they've reconciled and so I introduced the name of Eileen Fogarty to, to Robert Clark at Historic Annapolis. We brought her in, chatted with her, and uh, concluded that she was the one that we wanted to lead the battle. The, the, the other thing, which quite frankly was, uh, and I didn't realize it the first time when I called her about asking if she'd be interested, she said, oh yeah, by the way, you know, I was also the head of Gavin's transition team on, on uh, what was it, on planning, I guess? Land use. On uh, land use for the city. So that was important because that was somebody that Gavin had some trust, ha- in, had some trust in. So we didn't want to give him... An outlier who he's you know worried about if if, if he's going to get sandbagged. So I thought the idea that Eileen had the mayor's confidence and she certainly had our confidence. She'd be the perfect one. So that's how we got Eileen involved. And maybe I can have I can turn the the structure of the committee over to Eileen and she can tell you about how we put it together. <laughs> well, I'm going to hire Bill for PR in there, the future. That sounds great. You know, it's interesting. They approached me in the winter, and at that time, the discussion was, would you like to lead a committee? We'll have 12 people, maybe 15, but we want to keep it at 12, six from the H Historic Annapolis and six from the city, and it'll be a few months. Um, So that was basically last December, January. So what turned out to be a positive is as people started to get identified, 
to be part of the committee. And the the actual City Dock Action Committee is about 20 people. But in looking at it, I think the mayor, historic Annapolis, initially, particularly the mayor, wanted it to really be inclusive. So you had people from the arts community, people from the music community. Um, We had, of course, designers and architects and landscape architects, people from the business community, city dock businesses, the residents, Ward 1, but not just Ward 1, throughout the city, preservationists, environmentalists, uh, biking enthusiasts like Alex Pline from the Planning Commission, uh, parking people. So as this started to grow and was getting up to around 40 or 50 people, we talked about the fact that if it was going to be that large, then let's make sure we have the expertise in all of these areas. And then Historic Annapolis and the mayor identified, let's say, a specific parking person who had a tremendous amount of expertise in downtown parking. Yes. So we wound up, I think the number is 92 with 92 people. And while initially it was daunting, I looked at it as, well, this is no different than if you have a department of 100 people. And I've had departments of a lot larger. So we'll structure it like you structure a department. We broke it into teams for all of the topics we felt that A, we need covered, but B, that we had the expertise for, and then uh, went through the teams and identified mostly from the initial action committee, team leaders. And so each team has a team leader. The, The parking team has a team leader, Ian Pfeiffer. The residential community team has uh, two team leaders who are both uh, Carl Larkin and Mark Millay, both members of Ward 1. So we, the design team had uh, team leader um, Bryce Turner and Leo Wilson, who was local. So we structured it that way, and it, it really turned out to be fantastic. Because if you think about this, this is talent that... No city this size could ever afford. I throw out numbers like a half a million, but I think that's a very low number on what work each of these teams have done. So uh, when we we started, we've had the whole group together for action committee meetings, and we've had we'll have I think five of them. But then the teams for the first two months went off on their own. They Each team researched, um, did analysis, and put together, uh, interviewed people, did surveys, and then they would bring back and report out to the entire group. sort of what the ULITAP people did, but on a more focused level. Very right. focused right. level, yes. Right. And on a, with uh, much, ULI did it for two days. We brought, the first meeting we had was March 20th, and we will be going to city council on the 19th of December. So you're looking at around a, a 10-month pretty concentrated to effort. To be able to do it. Yeah. Well, where do, okay, so where do all the players fit in? Okay, we've got Historic Annapolis, which is a nonprofit within the city that sort of oversees a lot of the way Annapolis is and coordinates with the National Trust for Historic Places. Or, and then you've got the HPC, which is the yeah. construction I guess, aspect of it or the... So the way I describe it to people, I mean, yes, because we frequently get confused. People, I mean, I get calls from people, you know, complaining about they can't they can't do something to their house. That, right, right. Uh, that's not us. That's not, you have to go talk to the HPC, Historic Preservation Commission, which is part of the city uh, Department of Planning and Zoning. It's a function within planning and zoning. Okay, Historic so Annapolis sense. is a nonprofit organization, like any other nonprofit organization. Our, our interest is in historic preservation, predominantly within within the city's uh, historic district. We currently manage 11 properties for the state of Maryland. So the state acquires some of these historic properties and gives them to Historic Annapolis to manage. So, uh, and then we own two properties on our own. And when you say we, I mean you are you're the chairman. Yeah, of I'm the, the chairman historic, of Historic. Okay, as well. So. Yeah, I'm talking about about Historic Annapolis uh, and and the city. So Historic Annapolis is. Uh, our funding sources are, you know, with kind of nice, neat, tidy ways. We're about a third state funding, uh, a third event funding from events that we sponsor, 
and a third membership. Okay. Just some membership and development. But, but for instance, currently the past couple of years, um, a couple of years ago, the city, uh, excuse me, the state acquired the James Bryce House, a seven, uh, 1770 house that the um, that they acquired from the Masonry Institute, right. which had it as its home for 20 years. And that house, uh, that property, which is currently where HA offices are, but will soon change, is undergoing a, if we get our ultimate plan, a state-of-the-art restoration that will take it back to its 1770. Yep. And that's all predominantly a large chunk of that is state money that's coming in to fund. And also there's some private money that goes into that as well. And, um, you know, that's a multi-year restoration. We recently completed a, a, a brand new roof on the house. The stuff that's going on, if you haven't had it, uh, you know, you should on just on your own come and get one of our hard hat tours, wander around. And, and, and with Willie Graham, who's, who, who was the lead preservationist at Colonial Williamsburg, have him walk you through. It's fabulous. Fantastic. Well, okay, so Historic Annapolis then has no, I want to say, legal standing over anything that's, I mean, you've got influence, but not a legal standing. I mean, you can't dictate and say, we need to do this. You can just lobby and you can Correct. do what you need to do. Historic Preservation Commission does, vis-a-vis through the council and whatnot. They're the ones that are actually going to control what may be built on city dock. Correct. City obviously has to approve what goes in through there through the city council as well, um, and you've got to get a buy-in from that. We've studied city dock a number of times, and nothing really has ever come from it other than the parking lot remains, which I think at this point everybody can agree that it needs to go. Where to put the cars is, is the big question. Right. But what sets this committee apart from the prior studies that are... I think that's a really good question, and the answer, not to be overly simplistic, but the answer is both size and momentum. So if you think about the people who have been involved in this, 90 people, that is not just 90 people. Those 90 people may represent 40 or 50 organizations. So you have a very large group of people who have put a tremendous amount of blood, sweat, and tears. Initially, it seemed like it would be a disadvantage to not have a, you know hundreds of thousands of dollars for consultants. But if you think about it, all of this work has been done by Annapolitans who have met together as a team. Then they've reported out to the larger group. The larger group has kicked these ideas around. There have been changes to for the maritime group, may have a difference of opinion from the programming and arts group, and those things have been changed. So what you have is something that is a, a melding of a large group of people who've put in a tremendous amount of time and something that's pragmatic. That's the other the other thing there. We tried to involve all of the major stakeholders to make sure that these ideas were not ideas that could, you know, never get wings. Uh, so it's pragmatic. So there's commitment, there's momentum, there's energy. And then the other piece is that we had just amazing work out of the design team. So you have all these ideas from all of these people. The design team worked on them and brought back at every meeting. Does this design work? Does that? What do you think about what we should do with the cars? How much open space should we have? For example, there's this um, gorgeous elevated terraced open space but there are still some cars left on City Dock, and that comes from working with the business community. I'm saying we want some left. So it's a combination of all of that coming together, and we are now putting together with the city an implementation strategy so that we can actually next week say to people, here are going to be the next steps. So, so one word that Eileen forgot which I think is important to this to this, to this equation is consensus. So we refer to the to the to the plan and the result as the consensus plan, because as as she was describing, you know you get uh, you have business interests in and around City Dock who have their own concerns about parking. You know you can't take away parking without it affecting our business. You take away one space, you know you're going to kill us. 
And so to get a consensus from those people, say, all right, look, we are going to move parking, but the plan is parking will be compensated for somewhere else nearby. The, basically, the, the, uh, the doctrine has been don't take away a, a spot without putting it somewhere else nearby. So that gets, that's getting discussed. And so you have the businesses having buy-in on what's being proposed, and it's not going to be a death knell for their businesses, which includes parking, which includes access. You have the bike enthusiasts who have their interest about what they'd like to see downtown, uh, certainly the resiliency question about what's going to happen with both nuisance flooding and sea level rise. We have to fact whatever is, is going to happen there. The big cost element is going to be around resiliency. It's not going to be about building out park. It's going to be about how do you waterproof the area for the, for the next generations. And so that's, that's a big part of it. So all these things are all tied together as far as consensus. And that's the ultimate thing that we think is while we have this momentum and this strong interest from these groups, ultimately the thing is that there is kind of a, I don't want to say there's a kumbaya yet, but, but we're getting to the point where people feel comfortable that uh, they've been listened to. That, that, that's what it sounds like to me. I mean, it sounds like that you've got a, a group of people and uh, sounds like I'm going to be eating my words with my criticism on the Committee of 100, but, uh, and I don't have a problem with that. But, I mean, it sounds like you've got people that have, have skin in the game. Yep. If you will, which which I th- which I think is very important, as opposed to somebody that just has a, a specific agenda. I mean, if you're dealing with residents that can sit there and say, "Okay, just the little resident that lives on this little back street says, hey, this is an issue,' and, and be able to be heard. so to go to your question, which was why is this thing going to go any further? When you take a look at the the, the prior uh, plans for City Dock over the past uh, twenty years, it's involved outside consultants who come into town and work with planning and zoning to come up with an idea that everybody's supposed to love. You know, this is a town where people get deep into the weeds. They want to be involved. They want to have an interest. And so we've given them an opportunity to be heard. Quite frankly, when it first started, I thought this was going to be chaos because you're going to get all these different voices and how do you bring the whole thing together. Eileen's an expert in working with all these community groups over the years. She's spent a lifetime in in trying to bring uh, disparate voices together so that everybody feels they're heard. And And it's actually been working out. So... You know, the good news is uh, we think we have a we think we have something that's marketable in the sense of getting the, the next level, which is how do we get something to happen? Well, what's it look like now? Where, so, where does the plan stand? One thing I wanted and Bill Bill was correct that the the biggest issue and what we call this is the consensus plan. Another factor which I think is making a difference for the entire residential and business community is the urgency. If you noticed at the boat show, the boat show had to close down on Saturday afternoon because of the flooding. Mm -hmm. So everyone can see that this is not 30 years off, that this is now and we have to address the resiliency and the flooding. It can no longer, we no longer have the luxury of ignoring it. Yeah, it can't happen to me. It's not that's not a valid valid excuse anymore. Where where does the plan look like right now? So there are really two aspects to the plan. One is a diagram, and it's um, a diagram that involves the entire city dock area. It identifies where the resiliency and the resiliency barriers will go. It um, shows a large it's really transformational. There's a terraced open space area where people will have views of the bay. They'll they'll be above the cars, so they'll have these spectacular views, and they'll have a larger activity area, whether it's for events or for people just coming with their family. Um, There's, of course, a continuous walkway The circle has been retained, but it's a little bit smaller, and there's a lot more greening and pedestrian connections. And then the area next to the park is going to be a flexible space, as is the area behind the market house. In other words, they'll be bricked, they'll be landscaped. You can drive there, you can park there, but you can also turn it into an activity Clear it out area. Well, I mean, the market houses and, and that market space has done some events over the last six or eight months that have been very well received. Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, I mean, the boat show through their 50th anniversary party there that was phenomenal. 
So, so the other thing that, uh, just kind of building on what Eileen was talking about, one of the things that we did, which I think was unique when we approached it, I probably should have said this early on, is that we focused on just publicly owned space. So when you think about it, people say, well, what's the hotel going to look like? We don't know what the hotel's going to look like because we're not dealing with privately owned land. We're just dealing with publicly owned space because that's the only thing we have any direct influence over. So the parking lot, if you will, the whole city dock, Susan Campbell Park, um, all the places where they're parked, that, that area up to the, basically up to the curb is what we're dealing with because that's, that's what the city has control over. Ultimately, what happens there, my personal view, is that it will influence what's going to get built around it. And it, because um, to some extent, there, there was talk about uh, a hotel on the on the city dock, whether it's a boutique hotel or a, a more elaborate hotel. There is there are FEMA guidelines which require that uh, whatever is going to be built there, that, that's all going to be elevated. So uh, if there were a hotel there, it would have to be the first floor would have to be anything but rooms. You couldn't put you, you could put I guess you could put a cafe or a bar or right. Or receptionary, but you couldn't put any rooms there because it'd be in a floodplain. Right. Um, and so you'd have to have rooms at what would amount to the second floor and above, which with a height limit kind of contracts what can happen. <laughs> one of the <laughs> things you're squishing it down. So one of the things that continues to be said is maintain the bulk and height and mass of what's in uh, of what's in the historic district. That's been one of the premises that um, came out of the uh, out of out of ULI, and we continue to maintain that. So that will limit, uh, at least currently, that will limit height restrictions to what to, to what can go in there. The the manner in which the park will be designed, ultimately designed and uh, constructed, will also in uh, will also influence the footprint of buildings that might have been able to come into what I'll call publicly owned space. There was talk about you know where the where the existing Latitude Thirty Eight restaurant is that some of that might encroach into public space. Well, not if it's consumed by a park. So some of what's happening down there, and I think it was the right decision. Let's just focus on what, what the city has direct control over, public space. So there is a promenade that will go. It'll start over basically at the, uh, at, at the Burtis House. Right. And we'll wrap all the way around Eagle Alley and we'll go as far until you get to the Fleet Reserve Club where, guess what, all of a sudden you hit private property. Right. So there, there are three, there, between the Fleet Reserve... Pussers, and then also um, the Yacht Basin, and then obviously the Yacht Club. That's all privately owned, and maybe over time those those things will change. But right now the promenade would terminate at Fleet Reserve, although very cleverly the, the design team has brought it up Newman Street. So if you get to basically... So, so it ties into the sidewalk. That so it ties on, it kind of becomes a, a big continuous loop. And when we're talking about the City Dock area, I mean, we are talking, you mentioned Susan Campbell Park, the parking lot. Um, which we all know down there, the market house, the market space, because the market house is publicly owned. Right. Um, the Hopkins Plaza, which is which adjoins market. market that, house. Okay, <laughs> and then you've got also there's a parking lot on either side of the 110 building. I believe those are city lots. Correct. And then, yes. So you're Correct. kind of going down to um, what Newman Street? Is that where it sort of ends? Newman Street is what? Yes, uh, Newman Street on the one side on uh, on the one side of Eagle Alley, and then down to the Burtis House. On the, and, and the on, on the opposing on, side, on the yeah. Side. So we abut the Naval Academy. The other thing, and Eileen can elaborate on this, but the Burtis House, which was in play early on, as far as maybe it gets relocated, maybe it gets demolished, maybe it gets you know whatever. The uh, ULI recommended leaving it in place because the value and the historical value of the building is not just what it is, but where it is. And um, so the Burtis House will retain will will be remaindered where it is. It will be elevated. The plan is to elevate it to meet the FEMA guidelines. It will um, probably, uh, this I think everybody, including the city and HA, agree on, it will probably become the home, the new home for the Harbor Master. Because and that building is currently owned by the state, right? It's owned by the state and it's owned by, it has been under long-term lease, had been under long-term lease to the That's National Sailing Hall of Fame, right. which has since left to go to Newport. So it's in the process of being deaccessioned by the state and it's a long, arduous process when you deaccession a property. HA has has expressed an interest in having that property be added to our portfolio. 
Certainly, the city has the city pursued is it. To have a surplus. To and there's half a dozen different people have have put in for use of it, for use, ownership, whatever of it. I think what uh, one thing I would add to your earlier question, where you said, "What does it entail?" and I physically described it, but the other part of it is. So there's physical plan, but then there are all of the recommendations that come from the teams, recommendations on resiliency, recommendations on a cohesive parking strategy, recommendations for BIRDIS, financial tools, recommendations, how to implement this, um, recommendations for maritime. When we started the process, we had the group identify five principles. One was this was going to be a great public space that everyone could enjoy and access the water. The next was protecting the residents and ensuring the vitality of the businesses. The next was no net loss of parking. The next was retaining the scale and character of the historic downtown. And the last was fix the flooding. So those have been the big issues driving. One thing as I look through, I'm, I'm looking at a, a schematic or a, a drawing rendering of what it may be. And one of the problems I hear from businesses that I talk to is that they don't get the support of too many locals. And you hear locals that just don't like to go down there. And certainly I'm looking to see a, a, a park uh, is certainly a reason, mm-hmm. a, a, big, mm-hmm. a big reason to go down there. Uh, it's certainly a big reason to go down there and hang out for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've always been a, you know, I, when Chipotle came in, I know a lot of people squawked about that. And I was like, well, you know, they hang up their shingle. They're going to get 500 people a day that are going to go through the door. And they're not always going to eat a burrito. Sometime they're going to want to go and buy a, a Sperry Top Cider or something. They're going to mm-hmm. realize that it's there. And and I think that, and i got to be with everybody. I mean, I think the, if we can green City Dock, uh, I mean, that that's going to just naturally help the businesses and if there is any kind of loss in parking and i do disagree with i don't think we have a parking problem again it's the perception you know i do go down there frequently and i have never well i say not never but new year's eve fourth of july Mm -hmm. boat show uh maybe commissioning week i've got issues where i have to like you know go to the the secret hidden spots (laughs) that i that i don't tell anybody about but but a piece of that is the businesses talked about and the committee recommended the first thing to be done is Hillman Garage. So Hillman Garage will come online, the new Hillman Garage with additional spaces before the construction of the city dock. Sure, sure. And that's, you know, that, that so was what we sequencing. needed to do when we couldn't get out of our way for the uh, garage potentially at Green Street Elementary School. So so the other thing, uh, you're talking about attractions for what could happen on City Dock and the businesses and the vitality, et cetera. One of the things that, that we've talked about is to provide, especially during the summer months, basically the, from what we'll call it from April to October, is provide opportunities for what I'll call pop-up businesses here. The first thing would be to offer those opportunities to businesses already on City Dock as opposed to some third party coming in and deciding they want to sell ice cream. Well, there's ice cream stores there that we would provide opportunity for them for them to do that. So this isn't just meant to be a park where you could go down and wander around and walk your dog. This is more meant to be a place that would attract people down there. So we want to get people on City Dock, even to the point of, you know, one of the things we're talking about is doing something with, with a boat basin over by the Burtis house where there may be crab vessels in there, crabber boats in there, right. oyster boats in there, uh, maybe historic boats in there. You know, the idea of bringing in, whether it's the Pride of Baltimore or the Lynx or the right. Sol- or some of these boats coming in. From, but the idea would make it an attraction where you'd go down to, hey, let me go down and see the Pride of Baltimore. Let me go down and see the crabber boats. And to also use the Burtis and the area surrounding Burtis for an interpretive purposes. So this isn't just, let's go down to the Harbor Master's office. It's go, yeah, we go down and maybe there's a, a display or an exhibit about watermen. Uh, anything to get people, not just tourists, but to get, uh, or visitors as the, as the term of art is, to get the visitors to come down, they would also get locals who would have an interest in coming down. So that's kind of that. That's kind of the idea of how to how to you know re-energize uh, City Dock, and uh, you know we think it's a good plan. This, by the way, this this you know, whenever I use the term plan, uh, Bryce Turner says to me, you know, as an architect, I don't want you to refer to it as a plan. <laughs> really, this is more of a 
schematic this, this design. Is a, yeah, this is a design because this plan, if you will, is still in play. It's still um, subject to refinement. What's going to be put out will ultimately be influenced by, you know, the city, uh, what, a month or two ago, put out an RFQ, request for um, for qualifications, qualifications uh, to anybody who wants to respond. And, and, and they've aggregated the reconstruction of Hillman and the redevelopment of City Dock in one big proposal. And those proposals are due in November 7th, I believe. And what they're going to do, they're basically out there on a fishing expedition to see if there are contractors or teams of contractors who want to team together to A, rebuild Hillman, and B, rebuild, not just rebuild, they, they, their term is build, design, manage the, wor- right. the, uh, the, uh, the works. Some of that would make sense for the garage. I'm not so sure how that plays into managing what would happen on City Dock. But the bottom line is that those requests for for uh, qualifications, we'll, we'll identify corporate entities who are capable of building and financing. Sure. And it's, a, it's a big deal. Once they, they have the request for qualifications, they'll then select, um, uh, they'll, they'll, I'm sorry, they'll then go into a request for proposals, which will go out probably sometime in early January, late late January. Which do you, will, right. Do you, but do you guys have any concept of dollar-wise for the replacement of Pillman and the city doc. I mean, is, is that well, I anything think that's the, coming out of the Generally, um, the belief is that Hillman parking garages tend to be money makers, and the belief is that it will not be difficult to for the city to identify a very financially feasible approach for Hillman in terms of people be interested in coming in to design, build, and manage Hillman. The issue then is. For the city dock itself. When you said design, manage, and or manage Hillman, right now, would that be as they would presumably take like some sort of an equity stake in the garage? I have no idea. That's what the city wants to see. The city wants to hear from people. How will you finance this? What are the options? Okay, so if somebody comes in and says, "I'll I'll build it and I I want to own it for twenty years." Yeah, I think you know. I think one of the things that from the early side. Now, uh, quite frankly, I haven't had this recent conversation with the mayor, but early on, it was the idea of how do you do this with uh, private money? How do you how, how do you do this without the city having to uh, have? Obviously, this project is way, 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 way beyond. Let's raise taxes and sure. pay for it. This is serious. Uh, ultimately, my guess is this is in the. The, the whole redevelopment, the relatively small piece of the pie is the reconstruction of Hillman, re- rebuild of Hillman. The number that we have put out there for this, just this that you see, is um, we're looking at $50 million. $50 million for the, 50 million. what we would consider, what I would consider the city dock. Yes, all of the city dock. Right. So the number for Hillman, it depends on what you want it to be. If you want it to be a garage only, where basically, a, you know, a prefab, bolted together type garage. So this is what, in talking to the architects, they tell me, if you keep it above grade, you're probably talking seventeen to $20,000 a space. Okay. If you go below grade, like at one point there was talk about a subterranean yeah, garage, it can go as high as 70000 because okay. you're dealing with water table issues. Right. You know, I think at this point, the reconstruction of Hillman is, the city talks about a couple of different things. One is a straight-up garage, and the second one is a garage that would be convertible uh, or, re, or... Retail and residential. repurposed into into commercial space, commercial or residential, you know, 20 years from now when, when there's less use for a big garage. And the number, you know, the current, uh, the current Hillman garage is... 415 spaces, plus or minus a couple. That garage is almost 50 years old, so it's probably outlived its useful useful life. The talk now is a, a garage that could be as large as 700 spaces, which would be you know, almost 300 spaces more. Well, I know that the city is, under ideal circumstances, would look for a uh, public-private partnership mm-hmm. to, to do this. If that does not come to fruition or come, to, come with the terms that are attractive, I mean, what happens to this plan? Does this just... Does that go into the retired plan closet? (laughs) No, the city is going forward with Hillman, and nobody sees that as an issue. There are going to be plenty of firms that want to work with the city on Hillman. And the other piece is that the city uh, is looking at and have met with um, the county 
uh, about creating a financing authority for the larger city dock. So they are identifying ways to go forward with this. The, the city dock action committee has uh, what they call a financial tools team, and you have people with a tremendous amount of background, such as John Hammond, uh, Larry Shebnell, uh, Elliot Powell, on that group. And they have been working with the city manager, and now the city has met with the county on the idea of having a financing authority. That, that's, a very, uh, that's a very exciting and encouraging because it, it, it really does take this to a new level because, the, you know, as I exp- expressed early on, th- th- this is far beyond let's just raise taxes, of, you know, a couple of pennies and pay for the city dock. That's, this is not what this is about. This, is a, this will involve uh, certainly state, county, maybe federal money, and to some extent some, and obviously, the, you know, the fact that we're the state capital doesn't hurt. There is also... Um, I'm told that there's federal funding that could be available for, because a lot of facilities uh, in in cities where there are military facilities, there are federal funds related to uh, making those FEMA funds that are available for helping to protect on resiliency. What are, what are the next steps on this? So, okay, you, you're somewhat wrapping up your work, you think, uh, for the, the committee, and you've got so a presentation to the council. We have, um, we will be meeting with the committee next week on the 29th of October to lay out the design diagrams and sort of the transformational images to hopefully get the support of the committee with that. We then uh, will be putting together a, a short sort of reporting out for the council, and we meet with the council on the 19th of December. And we will be looking for the council's support at that time. And then we will be meeting again with the committee in January to sort of, here's how it's gone, what role and what? how can the committee members help as this goes forward. Okay, so this whole couple months thing for you didn't work out too well. No. <laughs> <laughs> and is the city council, I mean, they seem very willing to move forward with this. I mean, are they obligated? Is there a legal obligation or any kind of a, a codified obligation that they need to move forward with this? That's a good question. That's actually come up a couple of times. And um, the answer is, I don't know for certain if there's a, if there's a legal obligation they have, well, certainly they adopt it. The yeah. city council can choose to. They can choose to endorse it. They can choose to adopt it. There are, and if they adopt it, then you've got the framework in place. Let's just say right now, the city council said, "Yeah, well, you know, we we love this. You guys have done a hell of a job. Uh, we've identified contractors that that can do this." What would you? And I think Eileen, you probably could probably answer this better, just based on your experiences. What what are we looking at as the time frame? When how long would it take to know that. redo City Dock? So City Dock, well the City Dock portion of it, um, the concept design is twenty twenty one to twenty two. The construction should be finished in twenty three for the City Dock. Hillman should be finished. So the Hillman is done first. City Dock will be constructed by the end of 2020. Well, I mean, I wasn't looking for a specific time, but I mean, yeah. like, you know, is, 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 so basically it's almost like a two-year project. It's a two-year project, yeah. yeah. So, two, so that's going to be the disruption Hillman of businesses. Right. is a little bit shorter. Okay. So Hillman Garage should be constructed, by, I mean, hopefully by um, October 2021. Okay. So, right, so that'd be that'd be. So you're looking at eighteen. Yeah, probably eighteen to twenty four months is a reasonable time frame for it. Um, so all, all told, all said and done, we're looking at probably four years, four to five years max. Of and then it's, the grass is going to be pretty, and the benches are going to be out. Correct. And, yeah, yeah. Which is pretty exciting. <laughs> it is. It's an aggressive. Is that a uh, now based on your experience? Is that a reasonable time frame? Yes, it is. We put in. Um, I worked uh, with the city with the public works. Uh, director on this, and we laid out a reasonable uh, time frame to establish the financing authority for the city to do uh, get Hillman done, and then after the financing authority is established, and Hillman is the construction is underway to do the uh, concept drawings 
and then the concept, uh, the construction for City Dock. Then construction to do. What's okay? So now, now you've just got to wrap up. You've got a meeting on October 29th, You said correct. And that is going to be the meeting of the committee of one hundred. Yes. And everybody gets their buy-in there at that point. When are you planning to put this out to, I guess, the general public to take a look at? Well, um, we would hopefully put it out right after that meeting. After they, you know. Right after that meeting. And then we do the, um, the presentation to council December 19th. And that would be a meeting that I would suggest everybody come and see. I mean, you'll be able to hear it firsthand and, and, and whatnot. Right. And then, of course, before the city adopts it or whatever they decide to do with that. There are a lot of stages for input. So this is, we've had a huge amount of input during this process. We had a community meeting with a few hundred people. We've had, I think, eight or ten workshops in the community. So this is a schematic that's being brought forward. Then when the actual conceptual design gets prepared for the city dock, which will probably be in two years, there'll be a whole nother series of outreach and input because that will go into uh, more of the detail, okay. a little bit more detail. In this plan here for both of you, is there anything in there that you guys personally either don't like or would like to see or is missing? I mean, are you guys happy, very personally, both yeah, very I would, happy? With I, I mean, would say, I mean, there are, you know... Need another slip for your boat or something? <laughs> <laughs> You know, you never get you never get exactly what you in, what what you envision. But I think what I've seen, um, I can you know I can accept and embrace as as a, certainly a major major improvement for what's going down there. And you know, and again, I I just want to stress that this is kind of a I don't want to say a first step, but certainly because we're further along than the first step. But this is a a concept that's to try to that the the designers, the architects, the, the landscapers are still. It's still somewhat of a work in progress as to ultimately how it'll be. Um, but I think as far as, you know, green space, promenade, resiliency, the elevated, well, the elevated park, that's all pretty much, I, I, that's 90% agreed to. It's a win. Um, parking, there's a little, there's some parking there that's still being discussed about, you know, how many spaces do we want a remainder there? And some of those things I think will still get fleshed out as, as this thing marches down. But by and large, I, I would say, um, and I think... W- w- when it, if it goes to more public testimony, I don't expect a whole lot of public pushback as to what the heck were you guys thinking. I think for the most part, we've given people opportunities either directly through I mean, the, the community groups. The whole groups. thing has been very transparent from yeah. from from the get go, and people have had the opportunity, as you said, to do that. Um, I mean, we've got half the population of Annapolis on the committee, <laughs> one way or another. But but I think something that's really transformative about it is the terraced open space. Because if you think about the issue we're facing today, which is the flooding, here you're going to have a terraced open space with shade, which is green, um, that people can enjoy. They can enjoy the views. They won't be flooded out. And they also won't be sitting in, you know, blacktop in the uh, heat of the summer. Baking in the sun, sure. Right. Yeah, no. uh, so the other thing that I want to mention, because well, I think we were, we, we kind of, I don't want to imply that we've neglected it, is a lot of this is, um, so we've had uh, several meetings and uh, we had a walkabout a couple of weeks ago with uh, Paul Jacobs from The Boat Show. It's our intention to be as accommodative as possible. And so we've, it, it, he's certainly going to have to make some adjustments to how The Boat Show lays out, but our intention is not to not to jeopardize that relationship it's a it's a huge part of the dna of annapolis so we we expect you know for the boat show in a perfect world they'd have a flat lot with no trees and no right right that that's not that's not what we're trying to develop downtown so what he's and he seems amenable to making adjustments and has implied that he can make adjustments he just just doesn't want to have to reinvent the wheel but the idea would be that uh, something is important to the to the DNA of Annapolis is being protected, and that's our intention, and our, it's our expectation that's going to happen. Well, it is. I mean, and Paul's been very good about making adjustments, and he's had to since. I mean, yeah. I think he's been very reasonable as far as I mean. Gosh, he built the whole platform. Unfortunately, this time around, it didn't. It wasn't high enough. Well, we had um, yeah. This time around, the, the the weather just didn't. Comply. It was the perfect the perfect yeah. storm. I mean, literally. Um, to, to do that. So I think that that's great. Now, and when you talked about like the terrorist thing and for the people that are listening, and this is almost, I'm going to say like a, uh, certainly not the height, but we'll say like the, like an Aztec 
Aztec pyramid where it's a, a stepped type down. Now, obviously, that's going to do is that going to be the solution to or big part of the solution to the flooding, the sea level rise? Yes, that will there will be parts of city docks such as Susan Campbell Park that will not be inside the resiliency walls, the resiliency barriers. The, the new open space public park will be. So that whole area that we described will have resiliency barriers, and then it will also be terraced to address the flooding. And it's designed to, I mean, they've talked about 100 years from now as far as the sea level rise and the, what I, I think the number was three foot in 100 years or something like that. I mean, is this, are we looking forward to 100 years um, when we're looking at that. So, or, so one thing, just to clarify, this this elevated park, if you will, that we keep talking about, we don't want to imply like you have to take steps to get up to the top of it. This is, as as was described by the architects, is probably four feet higher. If you were standing there now, just imagine four feet, which if you're yeah. five feet tall, it's kind of like up to your shoulders, you know? Yeah, so, it's, it's, like, it's like a bump. Yeah, so, and, so the idea is that, that it'll be, and that's to comport with what's happening with, uh, with elevated sea. Um, so we don't want to build a barrier, an eight and a half foot, you know, the uh, sea level. The Naval Academy, I'm told, it will, when is uh, thinking about nine and a half feet or 9.3 feet, that would be a, you, you wouldn't even see the, you wouldn't even see the water at that point. So these things are going to be done in stages over time. So I, I don't think anybody's expecting, and actually the committee really isn't addressing sea level rise in the, in, the, in the point where you'd say, let's solve the problem for 100 years from now. It's going to be, let's solve the problem for the next 25. And then, so whatever they're going to try to, I think, and this is going to be once they put out the RFPs, where these engineering firms come in and propose, whether it's an add-on um, series of walls where, where over time you could continue to build up, water goes up and you continue to build up. Those are engineering questions which really haven't been addressed in the United States. Whenever you see things, they're always talking about what the Dutch have done and, you know, they've got floodgates and all sorts of stuff. This is not, the. I think in the U.S. this is a relatively a new art form that people are having to deal with. So trying to find, quite frankly, trying to find um, experienced construction and uh, design firms for that, I think within the U.S., is going to be it's you know, going to be tough. It's going to be no, certainly it's going to it's going to it's it's going to be new territory for them. Well, two dates that you need to remember: October 29th, and where is that going to be, Eileen? City Council Chambers. Okay, and then uh, December, the City Council meeting will be the first first one of December. That's December nineteenth. I, I, I believe it's the only one in December. Um, that's right, because they've got the uh, the holidays are coming yep. up and everything else. And then in so both cases, of course, these things are broadcast on uh, on both Verizon and Comcast, so people who can't get right. there can thirty four and one hundred, and then the city does put it up on Facebook Live, too, right. which is really neat. Well, Eileen Bogarty, thank you very much. Thank you, Bill Kardash, As always, thank you very much. Um, I've learned an awful lot, and hopefully. I think this has uh, sort of opened up this up to everybody that's listening and uh, gets a better understanding. I'm excited about it. I think it's a good plan. I think you know. I, th- I think any plan is a good plan, other than what we yeah. <laughs> what we have here, as as it is right now. And that's you know for the people that use City Dock, the people that love City Dock, the businesses that surround it, and it seems to really address pretty much everything. And then you've got the sea level rise and the the nature that we need to deal with. But and I'd be remiss in saying that I can't imagine the amount of work that you two have put into this and over the years and yeah it would be years with the plural it will be years but it's also the mayor robert clark and that team of 92 people on behalf of myself and certainly i think everybody that lives in the town i would say that uh you know thank you for that and i think i'm excited to see what comes out of it great thanks thanks for the opportunity this has been an update from eye on annapolis Please visit us at ionanapolis.net. Follow us on Twitter at ionanapolis. And be sure to subscribe to our daily news brief podcast, which is delivered every Monday through Friday to your phone or device at 7 a.m.